Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. We've been committed to downtown Tacoma since 1883. And today, that looks like a vibrant worshiping community located in a bustling, historic church that functions like a community center for about 20 different arts organizations, Christian ministries, and social service organizations that use our building throughout the week. This podcast is an audio recording of our weekly sermons. You may notice that I occasionally pause for laughter that seems out of context, That's likely because our PowerPoint is showing, I don't know, the head of Jesus photoshopped onto the body of Steven Seagal or some equally cheesy joke that has to be experienced in person, which honestly is just a bad segue to say, hey, come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Lastly, we had some delay putting sermons online uh, throughout the fall, so this spring we'll be mixing in some sermons that never made it online in addition to our weekly podcast. Thanks. From Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that belongs to me. So he divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything... A severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, Bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, What is going on? He replied, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. The father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your, pro- your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. God of all things, God of grace, God of truth, God of love, your spirit and your presence saturates the whole world. It's so, uh, so omnipresent, so much around us that sometimes we forget that you are there. So we pray that through hearing your word, we may feel that presence and experience your love and your grace. Amen. So as, as many of y'all know, our church building, the, the, the building itself functions a bit like, sort of like a community center, and there are, you know, around 20 different organizations that use the building every week. And this, uh, this generates a lot of activity and a lot of good stories. Um, like, like the time that we found a passageway in the back of a closet that led to a hidden room that someone, it appeared that someone might be living in. It's a false alarm. No one was living there. But we did get to, that, that day we got out the blueprints and searched for any other hidden space in the building. Or, or there was the time we got a call from like, a, like an off-brand cable TV show that wanted to bring in ghost investigators into the church to communicate that ghosts that were living here? We also didn't do that. Or there was that one time, that one story about the con man. The one where one of our tenants, somebody who, you know, was using space in the building, realized that they were working with a real-life con man. Like someone who, you know, had had faked his resume and was hired to do something that he had no idea how to do. And, and fortunately, you know, the organization figured out what was going on and, and ended their relationship with the person. But, but the reason this story sticks out is that years later, one of the folks from this organization was visiting a friend in the hospital. And that same con man walked in in scrubs pretending to be a doctor, right? 
and, and they like, you know, they called the police and, and did the stuff that you do. Um, but it, when I heard the story, I, it, it felt like it was out of a movie. Uh, like, it's Catch Me If You Can, right? With Leonardo DiCaprio, where he uh, pretends to be a lawyer and a pilot and a doctor. And, and that, that idea grabs our imagination. It, it fascinates us. Like, how, how could someone actually pull that off? That's right. How do they do it? But as, as interesting and sort of like exciting as it is, I think the idea of, of someone conning us also sort of terrifies us. Not like the way that we're terrified by earthquakes and axe murderers and spiders, but a, a different kind of fear. The fear that we're being played for a fool. The fear that, that someone's going to take advantage of our generosity. I, I guess that we're afraid of the shame because at some level we believe that, that we should know. Like, maybe it's our fault if we're being taken advantage of. And, and then, of course, I think we reserve like a special kind of anger for someone who would be so devious to take advantage of people's goodness and generosity. So, just with that set up, you can imagine my discomfort when I, I was doing some, some prep on this passage and read an article suggesting that the prodigal son was, in fact, a con man. We, we know this story pretty well. You know, a, a young man goes to his father and says, hey, please divide up all your assets and give, them, give him his inheritance. That son then goes and he wastes all of his money goes broke, and ends up feeding the pigs. The, the son realizes he'd be better off working for his dad, so he comes home with a speech in hand about how he's been a terrible son. But, but before he can give the speech, the, the, son, or the father runs out and greets him and forgives him. And, and traditionally, I think the way I heard this was, was a story about repentance and, and grace. That's maybe why we put it in the season of Lent, in our lectionary. It's, it's sort of, you know, we think, oh, we're supposed to be like the son who realizes that he's done something wrong and he's repents and then he's forgiven. But what I read pointed out that there is nothing in the story to suggest that the son is repentant. The son goes home because he's hungry, not because he's sorry. And, and this happens in verse 17, uh, where, where the, it says that the son came to himself and said, how many of my father's hands have bread? And he goes on and sort of makes a turn. And, and I put that son came to himself in bold because because that phrase is a really common phrase in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus was speaking. And, and that phrase means that the son decided to rely on himself. He decided to take care of himself. And, and I actually, I feel like I know this is true, not only because I read books on it, but because I spent most of my 20s living in the Middle East. And in Arabic, we still use 
a version of this same phrase. If, for example, if I saw a kid running into traffic, I would, I would yell out, Heli belek nefsi. And that's a phrase that actually uses the same Aramaic word and means take care of yourself. And, and that, that phrase has nothing to do with morality or religion. I, I, I wasn't telling, you know, like, son, repent for what you're doing wrong. I, I was saying, like, watch out. It's, it's all about self-preservation. So in, in sort of the turn in our story, when the son returns to himself, there's no indication that he's repenting. He's just simply doing what's best for him. I, I love the way that uh, Barbara Brown Taylor describes this. She says, the prodigal son is, is not returning home out of love. He's returning home out of hunger. He's returning home to apply for a job. He's not trying to be in relationship with his father. He's trying to be in groceries. He's trying to be under a dry roof. And and actually, it wasn't just her. I I thought about this. I was like, maybe this has some legs because I I read this same basic idea in, like, I don't know, the the holy trifecta of commentators, a, a Roman Catholic priest, a liberal Protestant, and a conservative evangelical, they all came to the conclusion that, that the speech the son is rehearsing about how he sinned, that's not repentance. That's more like a manipulative son telling his father exactly what his father wants to hear. A a devious boy just looking after his own, a con man rehearsing the con. And that's not what I wanted to hear. The, the, The suggestion that the prodigal son isn't sorry just feels wrong. We have a sense of justice that we want to uphold. We probably approach this story with with some, some level of belief that, that if the son was not really sorry, then the father shouldn't have forgiven him. Like, we know the story is about grace and forgiveness, but we want the son to deserve it. We want to have some justice, but it's just not there. One of uh, the scholars that I read, Ken Bailey, he's spent his whole life in the Middle East, uh, He says that the only reason we find repentance in the text is because we add it to satisfy our sense of justice. But in the story, there is no repentance and no justice. And I think that everyone who heard this story would have known it. Like, when Jesus was telling it, everyone who was listening knew what justice looked like. Because the the Talmud, which is... The, the ancient commentary on the Torah, it describes what to do in this exact situation when someone has lost their inheritance to Gentiles. It's called a ketsetsa ceremony. And, and here's how it works. If someone goes out and loses their inheritance and returns to the village, the villagers run out 
and they get a large earthenware jug with burned nuts and corn. Just realize, do they just have that on hand? I don't know. Um, this is like, go to the cabinet and get some earthenware jugs filled with burned nuts and corn. And they run and they break it in front of the prodigal, the person returning. They shout his name and they pronounce him cut off from the village. He, he becomes a cosmic orphan who never can return. And, you know, Jesus knew the Talmud when he was telling this story, and so did his listeners. So, so they're waiting for the son to face this ketzetzah ceremony. And, and that's actually the best-case scenario, the most generous outcome. Because if the father finds the son before the villagers, the father is supposed to kill his son. That's, that's the only way to preserve family honor. The, the only way to ensure that like, the rest of the villagers will do business with you. The only way to have respect, to, I don't know, find a family that will want to you know, marry off their kids to the rest of your remaining children. That's the logical next step in the story. But, but something goes amiss. The father starts running to the son. Aristotle once said, a great man never runs. Okay, hear me out here. Yeah, it seems ridiculous. Uh, uh, and a real bummer as the, the captain of my cross-country team. Um, the, the idea was that a dignified person never chases anyone. And again, this is 2,000 years ago, and this has something to do with clothing. This is a cheesy but accurate representation of what the father would have worn. How are you going to run in that? I'm going to tell you. You would have to pull up your cloak and risk exposing yourself. This was a shameful thing to do. And the father did it. He ran to his son long before he knew if his son was sorry or if his son was just hungry. The father goes to the wayward son and forgives him before he repents. There is no debt to be paid. The father doesn't seem to care about everyone else's sense of justice. He doesn't seem to care about whether or not he's getting conned. He just loves his son. So he forgives him. And, and I wonder if this is good news to us. I mean, I know it's supposed to be good news because Christianity is all about forgiveness and grace. But I wonder how it feels. I wonder how it fits with what we believe. Like, when it comes to, to our beliefs about salvation and redemption, a lot of us still hang on to the idea of divine justice. The, the most popular understanding of the death of Jesus is that that Jesus died to pay for our sins, which is a little bit of 
a type of divine justice. It goes something like this. We sinned, we broke our covenant, our agreement with God, and there needed to be a sacrifice so that we weren't damned to hell. So Jesus became the sacrifice and paid for our sins. You know, Jesus was completely innocent. And I, I'll point this out. Uh, if, if that had been there, that same idea that is, is really common in this belief, or in this parable, if that theology had been there, then the father would have actually needed to kill the innocent older brother to atone for the younger brother's sins, to secure payment for his forgiveness. Because, you know, in that scenario, God can't just forgive. God needed justice. God needed payment. Innocent blood had to be shed. But that's just not how the story goes. It's it's a little different. Jesus seems to be telling us that God forgives with no payment. No, no justice is, is, you know, like, I shouldn't say no justice. I should say that God's love is more powerful than our ideas of what is fair and just and right. And God will go to any means to show us just how loved we are. And it's not just here. I like. I see the same truth in the broad arc of the scriptures, in in the stories of Jesus' life, in the last sermon I preached on the the image of the mother hen, and and I see it on the cross where Jesus forgives those who crucify him, even before they repent. And I see it here in stories like this where the father loves his son too much to worry about debts or being conned or what is just and honorable. The father just loves his son and will forgive him no matter what. So again, I want to go back to this idea of how it feels to us. Not only because some of it doesn't actually line up with with some of the beliefs that we may have been taught, but more than that, I wonder about how it lines up with what we believe about ourselves. Like, the belief that we need to repent, or we need to say we are sorry before we're forgiven, that that sort of feels good in some way. It's like it lets us know we're okay. It it assures us that we're, we're different than the sinful person that we used to be. And, and maybe it also assures us that we're different, maybe even better, than all the sinners who failed to repent. Right? It, it, it's just a little bit of security that we're okay, that we're different. And that feels good, but that's not how God works. Our, our forgiveness, our acceptance, our thriving is not based on, on our ability to be really good at repenting. The, the only reason we're forgiven is that God loves us so much that, that God will have it no other way. For, forgiveness and repentance aren't about appeasing an angry God, but, but God's love meeting us wherever we're at.
And, and this parable is a reminder that, that God's like a doting parent that's always loved you and will always love you. And, and then the story ends with a party where everyone's invited. The, the older brother is too caught up in his sense of justice and his desire for fairness and for debts to be paid that, that he actually can't, he can't join the party. But the younger brother, the, the guy who messed up, just, just simply accepts his father's love. And I, and I know that in some ways, maybe I, maybe I made the prodigal son look bad this morning. Like, I didn't call him a con man. But in this story, he's the example we want to follow. He, he seems to be the one person in the story who really knows his father. Like, if he thought his return home would, would end with him being cast out of the village or would result in his being killed, why would he return? I mean, he's self-interested, right? So he must know that there's nothing he can do from preventing his father from loving him. He, He must know there's nothing he needs to do to get his father to love him. He, he shows us what happens when we let go of the belief that we need to earn God's love and simply relax into God's grace. If we can, if we can come to ourselves and run down the road of love, we, we end up at this big party where, where there's no score and no unforgivable sin and no good people and no bad people. Just people. All beautiful and sacred and holy. Beautiful and sacred and holy. Like those it's so hard for us to love. And beautiful and sacred and holy. Just like each one of us. So we we now actually have this, this rite or this confession, this, this prayer of confession, this liturgy. And maybe that feels a little bit weird after I talked about how God's love doesn't depend on our repentance. But rather our repentance is in response to how we're loved, how we're held secure with the knowledge that we're loved um, so, you know, we, we passed out these little pieces of paper in the bulletin, as we do every week, and, and we're writing different things on these throughout the season of Lent, and we're going to turn them into an art project. So we're about to take a few moments to reflect, and so I want to invite you to reflect on, on maybe how our sense of justice can lead us to exclude others. Maybe, maybe reflect a little bit on how we distance ourselves from other people. Um, maybe because of, of our own righteousness, our own sense of, of what we may have done. So in, is, you can write whatever you want. You can draw a picture, but just a couple suggestions would be 
something about, you know, like how we turn to God's love. Maybe, maybe this is a relationship that sticks out or a group of people that we can be a little judgy towards or, or even the ways that we judge ourselves. So uh, Brad's going to come up and play a little bit of music and we're going to just take a few minutes and reflect and write and then during our, after our uh, prayer of confession, we'll pass these in in the bulletin and no one will read these, by the way. So know that these are, they're confident. All right, let's take a few minutes to, to reflect. <laughs> 